I'm Crystal Siracus. Welcome to Off the Page, the show featuring good books and good conversations with authors from our own region and around the world. My guest today is Ithaca writer Megan Shaw. She's the author of several books written for young readers. Her 2014 novel, The Swap, was recently made into a Disney movie. Her latest book is Billion Dollar Girl. It comes out on September 13th. Megan, thank you so much for talking with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Your latest book is Billion Dollar Girl, and it's out on September 13th. And one of the things I loved about this book is that it's so hard to pin down, um, you know, like trying to write a description of it for an intro. And I'm like, I don't know what to say here that's not going to give everything away. So are, are you proud of how slippery it is? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the book is... is um anchored in my own unease with popular culture these days. Like my audience are are really like middle school age. So like 10, 11, 12, 13 kids that age are just inundated with like this culture screens that place enormous value on fame and extreme wealth and even artificial intelligence, beauty algorithms that are deciding what they look at every day for hours a day. And, you know, that leads to sort of basically a mental health crisis for children in America. And and those are the tells, right, that kids are really suffering from toxic stress. And I think it was way before COVID that just social isolation, an epidemic of gun violence, you know, even uncertainty of climate disasters, like there's just a lot of unease and chaos that kids are pounded with. And then at the same time, there's this screen that most of them have access to 24 hours a day. And I just can't imagine what it's like to grow up with that and and with a constant sort of fear of not belonging, not fitting in, not being quote liked or followed. And so this book is really my answer to, to that in a story. So it, it, I guess if I were, if I were half to, to summarize, I would say like in a world that tells kids fame and money is everything. This is a story that completely flips that on its head. I love that because, and, and I'm not going to give too much away, I promise. <laughs> um, our main character, River, is a young girl who's living in pretty extreme poverty. She has a mother who loves her, but the mother really isn't present. And then things happen and River kind of goes on this journey. But River doesn't have a phone. And we do see some of that reflected early on in the book that she still has friends, but, you know, eventually is really ostracized for her lack of everything. Yeah, that's, that, a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. And that just reminded me of how hard it must be for kids today who don't, you know, whose parents don't have the means to provide them with the latest gadget, iPod, this, that, you know, everything else, or who aren't on Instagram or TikTok or whatever they're doing these days. That's uh, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. And, and if you don't have it, you might also not fit in. If you do have it, you also might be acutely aware that you don't fit in. So I don't know if there's even a winning recipe, you know, of a have or have not. I think this culture is sort of um, pernicious for every kid. It's, it's sort of like COVID it's coming for all of us. We have such a wacky, I guess, bonkers sort of take on what we value. I mean, 
you know, it's also very magical in some ways, like good things can happen to people, crazy things, good things, bad things. I mean, we've all kind of gotten used to it. Right. And I guess my book this time is, is like some deep place in me is like, this is not super healthy for any of us, you know? And I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I have a phone that I look at, you know, at what point do we as adults just notice that this is probably hard to live with? And I don't necessarily have the answer in terms of abolishing phones or social media. I don't really think that's realistic, but an understanding that these um, rising numbers of children and young adults struggling with anxiety and depression, even before COVID is a result of something, you know, and like, we can't just wish it away. And so I think this book for me is a story that hopefully shows another way. Uh, There's a big return to nature, to a cultural value that cares for each other and, and where everyone matters. And when I finished writing it, I was trying to think um, to my publicist, really like, what is this book about? And, and I, I really think it's that glaring juxtaposition between like natural beauty and the powerful allure of extreme wealth. And then what questions do those, does that side-by-side sort of look bring up, which is to me, what is most important? What do we value? What is life's greatest treasure, you know, and, and who, and what do we owe our responsibilities to? Like who is important? Who is not, who the heck decides and why, you know, that's something I think we should all pause to think about, you know, who gets to see the stars at night, who gets to live in a quiet space? Um, Is that a right of every person or is it a right, you know, that comes with wealth or access to status? So it's all kind of deep, but it's also just an entertaining read, I hope too. It is. And and it's a big roller coaster of emotions. You know, in the book, River faces a lot of challenges and, and many of them are internal. She's 13, questioning who she is, what her life is about. But I love that for all of that, she embraces joy, even if she's not really sure about it at first. And I'm wondering if that's a theme that you find yourself returning to this idea of also embracing joy, even when things aren't really going so well. Oh, gosh, I think that's probably a daily practice for me. I think I have a lot of experience in that personally, but who doesn't, right? I mean, for me, I think I'm interested in helping kids feel less alone. And I think on the other side of less alone is knowing that you're not alone. Uh, Well, that's kind of I I think I just contradicted myself, but what I mean is the other side of less alone is being around people, uh, whether they're peers or adults who are authentic and um, can help you deal with normal, painful emotions and also equally, you know, acknowledge joy. And so it's not an either or where everything is super great or super bad. And I think that's probably my sweet spot is, is having the world of both. It's not fun when it's hard. And sometimes it's really fun when it's joyful, but you still need to go through both sides to enjoy both. It's one of the other things that I really enjoyed about the book, that there's no bad guy. There's just a group of people who may not always make the best choices even the grown-ups make mistakes and they learn to live and move on and just promise to do better. 
you know, is that a message that you want young readers to take away from reading this book? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I guess, you know, I love stories myself where, you know, you look at everybody's perspective in a certain way and can sort of have compassion for every person. And I think some people, since you touched on River's mom, Sunny is very neglectful. Um, and I think depending on what your own experiences with growing up or parenting, you might read it and be like, oh my gosh, this mom is awful and not like that character. But spoiler alert, you, you discover why she's lacking her skills at some point in the story. And I think that a kid isn't necessarily going to intellectualize all of that and understand it, but they're going to feel it. You know, maybe adult readers are going to understand like, okay, there was repair or there was trauma or, you know, some of the more intellectually uh, challenging concepts, but to a kid, I think they feel it. And at least from what I hear from readers, you know, they don't know why the book makes them feel good, but they tell me they read my other books, at least hopefully this book too, that they read it many, many times and, you know, keep it by their bed at night. And that's, that's really what I'm in it for to help kids feel soothed and seen and less alone. And I love that books can help kids to validate painful emotions, you know, and, and be a, be a safe haven or a lighthouse in a storm. The, the book is set in a few locations, but the bulk of it takes place in a temperate rainforest, um, I think off the coast of British Columbia, at least that's where it is in the real world. What drew you to that particular setting as a place for this story to unfold in? Yeah, that's a good question because I have actually never been there. <laughs> and really? I also let it very, uh, I left it kind of nebulous, I think, where exactly it is. But yes, I absolutely based it on a very specific area of, um, I think one day I just somehow stumbled on this very special place. It's called the Great Bear Rainforest. And it's uh, in, you know, really far off the coast in British Columbia. You can't get there by foot or a car. You have to get there by a boat or a plane and not a plane that needs a runway. So <laughs> like a helicopter <laughs> or a plane that can land on the water. So I really became a little bit, as probably a lot of writers do, like super geeked out on that whole area and I think I was even eating wild salmon at the time, you know, like I was just like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get right here, you know, and I ended up speaking to a lot of people from that area and just, I really would love to go there. I, I'm actually surprised that you haven't been there because the descriptions of this place were so vivid and so real. So well done on that. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I think also I love being outside, you know, I grew up in, in Ithaca and I know it's certainly not the, it's not the Great Bear Rainforest, but it is pretty beautiful and we are super lucky. Like, I think I have about 10 major waterfalls, like within a mile of my house, you know, so mm. I definitely have an affinity for the soothing elixir that is nature and beauty. And, and so that sort of tied in like an interesting point um, that I touched on is, you know, nature is like obviously for everyone, the stars are for everyone. Like they, they're not owned by anyone, but um, light pollution and even call it environmental racism, where we put, you know, smelly big factories 
usually aren't in the nicest neighborhoods, you know? And so what are we doing as a culture that we're not valuing nature as something everyone needs access to and everyone needs to enjoy? And this isn't at all a political book or statement. It's just really those big questions is like those big encompassing issues do affect kids. And as we, you know, turning back to the, the rising number of children, young adults in America really struggling with anxiety. I don't think anyone would argue that point right now. We have to look at all, all the things, right? And one of the things is like, you know, what are we doing to our environment that is not allowing kids to look outside at night and see stars? You know, it's such a little thing, but it's kind of a big deal. And I think River in the book actually says like, I never knew a sky like this existed. It's just blows my mind when you think about it, when you look up at the stars and you see a profound sort of sense of self and sense of your place in the world. And it can be life-changing almost. And not everyone gets to see it. It's just like, wow, that's a bummer. Let's start there. I don't want to give too much away as a spoiler, but there are some connections to First Nations culture in the book that I thought was really beautifully done. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the process of writing about a culture in a way that is respectful and that doesn't play into harmful tropes. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question because I think a lot of people maybe might say like, oh, don't do it. Don't don't include anything that's not you, but that would be an extremely boring book because I am not I have no storied, interesting thing about me. So um, I really was drawn to this area. And, and you know, I really had to, as, as a writer who, who is non-Indigenous, I needed to really do my due diligence and um, make sure that I needed to be accountable to the people whose stories I was sharing and whose land I was sharing and whose culture I was making reference to. And so, yeah, that's what I did. I, I literally uh, reached out to uh, the chief of the Kittisu Hey Hayes First Nation. I wrote him an email and asked, you know, told him what I was doing. And, you know, it's just a small beat of the story, but it's a big deal to uh, include something that is sacred, you know? And so I wanted to make sure I not only had permission in his eyes of his sharing his culture and his approach to sustainability and stewardship of the land, the water, the air, each other, they really take caring for a healthy and living ecosystem and keeping it intact for and vibrant for future generations as like the utmost responsibility. And so I can't say I set out to, you know, that I knew all that when I started writing this book, but things just have a way of kind of working out sometimes in stories. And when I realized that this is a culture really based on reciprocity and respect, respecting all life and not just, not just humans, but all peoples, you know, and animals and all living beings. Yeah. It's, it's a whole different way to approach living and it definitely informed this book. So yeah, Chief Nislaus, his name is Chief Douglas Nislaus of the Kittisu Hey Hayes First Nation. They are really the anchor to that area of the world and the caretakers for thousands of years. And so I felt very fortunate and very, you know, grateful to be able to have his advice and um, 
his knowledge, like deep knowledge of sustainability and, and just the, 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 the respect and care of where they live and not just that, but to each other. And that's kind of, um, I think the counter up the counter to me to like Instagram and, and um, you know, TikTok and this culture where people feel okay to, you know, put other people down without even a thought. I mean, mm. I can't quite compare the, the whole entire culture of a people's to a social media empire. But what I mean is just the cultural reverence. It's just such a juxtaposition that I think that really works in the story. It, it does because, you know, we, we have moments where that is definitely, I want to say like the part of the book that basically takes place in this temperate rainforest and then what happens later, it is really jarring. And, you know, reading this, I was just like, can we go back to the rainforest? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's like, um, in a nutshell, you think in the beginning of the book, uh, River, you know, she wants a phone, she wants a nice house, she wants all the things her friends have. And, and indeed, like kids who are growing up, um, not just impoverished, but neglected, which is really the problem for her without being seen and cared for and nourished, you know, literally with food. She's, uh, when you meet her, she's eating dry ramen noodles, you know, and she's, she's a kid that's pulling it off. Like nobody knows this, uh, this is her reality. When you see those, her go through what she goes through, eventually you can understand um, her yearning to be in this other place. And so I, I hope as a reader, um, we all go through that with her. And, and I'm glad to hear you say that was your wish, you know, this yearning, like, let's go back to that other place. I I'm out, you know? Yeah. What kind of feedback do you get from your readers? Oh, Crystal, it's so fun to write for kids. Um, they, they just write straight from the heart, you know, and they'll tell you if they don't like something, let me tell you that too, <laughs> but they're very, um, yeah, it's just beautiful. I have tons and tons of letters. Like what other job do you get that? It's pretty fun. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes it's not so fun when you read some reviews, but usually those are from grownups, you know, like, yeah, kids are, they're amazing. They, they write letters. Most of the time I've heard letters that say things like, you know, now I know I'm not alone. And, you know, I thought it was really weird, but now I know I'm not so weird. Or, um, you know, this book, I don't know what it is, but I've read it a hundred times. I got a note this summer that was really lovely. This young woman who's going to college and she actually had just finished her first year. And she said she only allowed herself to take three books with her. And she told me one of my books was one of her three and she calls it her comfort book because she reads it when she needs comforting. And yeah, that's pretty much like mic drop. That's all I need. You know, that's really truly oh what I'm goodness. in it for is, is to help kids feel better. And you know, anyone, I don't, it's okay if you're older and you read my books and they make you feel good. I'm down with that too. Have you ever written anything that totally surprised you or had that moment where you just sit back and wonder, where did that come from? <laughs> Oh yeah, that is, I think that has happened to me in this book for sure. Um, one of the things that I think is crazy is how everything in the book um, has a beat that's opposite in the second half of the book. So 
in the before world, she's very deprived, you know, of, of a lot um, of water, of, of water to bathe with, you know, of, of actually uh, boundaries, you know, like she's living with no boundaries that, that some people might think that's fun to not have boundaries, but really for kids that creates a lot of sense of unsafety, you know, um, boundaries are what keep us safe. So not having a parent who's sort of helping creating safe boundaries is actually not so fun. You know, I mean, it's fun in the sense, like I can do what I want, but it's not fun in the sense of feeling a sense of safety. And so all of those things have a opposite, um, you know, beat, I guess a screenwriter would call it in the second half of the book. And I don't think it was actually intentional. And when I started realizing these sort of mirror moments, and I could give you a few since you read the book, but just it blew my mind. I was like, how did this happen? You know, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes when you're dialed into a story, those kind of things start working out and you're, you're like, uh, I, I imagine maybe like an English teacher assigning something and then, and then saying, you know, like, um, in this story, the author, blah, 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 blah. And the blah, 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 blah part is, is like, sounds so intentional to kids when they're in their English class, but it could be just pure circumstance of like a perfect storm of goodness, you know, mm. <laughs> that's another contradiction, but <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? I must be all I out love of words that actually. <laughs> <laughs> a perfect storm of goodness. Yeah. So I, I just think it's funny. Like I always think of me in English class or something, you know, in 10th grade at Ithaca high school and the teacher's going like, what is the meaning of, you know, this book? And I was just, I had no idea about anything, but I think it's kind of fun that sometimes there might be no idea about anything, that it might just be a story that, you know, in this case, my story is pretty purposeful, um, but it is interesting that some of these moments are, are organic and lovely and might've just happened because, you know, you were, you were plodding along in this book. What do you tell young readers who may write to you and say that they want to be a writer too? Oh man. I mean, the first thing I legit tell people is like, first of all, rule number one, if you want to be a writer, kid, grown up, anyone, don't ask anyone's permission and don't show anyone your work at first. That's what I would say the biggest blessing for me was. I just did it and I had enough like chutzpah to just, um, think, oh, this is great. And, and I wonder if I had shown it to somebody who quote knew better, they might've like in a well-meaning way told me I better like think of a different occupation, you know? So, um, probably the best thing I did was not, not ask anybody. Um, yeah, I just think that, um, it's easy to think everybody knows better than you and pretty much everything. Right. And, I like to encourage kids to trust in and believe in themselves and their voice. And ultimately that's what matters most in living any dream, not just writing, but art and most things, uh, that are, you know, art are, are, is entirely subjective. You know, I, I once saw a post on someplace, I, I don't know if it was social media or poster or something, but it was, you can be the ripest, juiciest peach in the world, but there's, there will always be someone who hates peaches, you know? So when anyone asks me for creative 
advice. I like to stress that there's absolutely no right way, you know, that only you know what you want to say or draw or make or act or be, you know, so the secret is you need to listen to yourself. And that's probably like the hardest thing to do in the whole wide world <laughs> to listen to yourself. Ironically, um, you know, it's so simple, but so complex, I guess, beyond all that kind of very big picture advice, I would say um, to kids, especially, and to parents who might be listening is that I was um, a terrible student, uh, not on purpose. I just really struggled <laughs> in school. I, I got the comments on, on report cards that said things like, like a pleasure to have in class, C minus, you know? <laughs> so I don't think I would have ever guessed that I would grow up to write books that became Disney movies, you know, like that's bonkers. I would be like, no way, no way. Cause I would walk downtown after school to see an English tutor. You know, I tried hard, but I just did not enjoy it. I did not read a lot. I did not write a lot. And so I think like one of the things I'd like to tell parents, especially is like to know, like, uh, I think Mary Oliver, the poet said, um, leave some room in your heart for the unimaginable. And I love that because like, you know, a kid is only a kid. They've only been here 10, 11, 12 years on this planet. And we all, I do it all the time. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Oh, you're good at that. You know, you know, they, oh, are you going to be in the NHL if they play hockey or, you know, and I think it's all good hearted, but to know just as long as you leave some room that that hockey player might actually be a poet or that hockey player might actually be a physician or, um, we just don't know what we're going to find our passion for and to sort of leave some room for, for dreaming and experiencing and knowing that probably what makes me um, enjoy my job or like writing stories is how many times I've messed up, meaning all the failures and deep sadness, you know, and joy that I've had um, informs my stories. And so that's kind of the lovely big picture advice I'd give anyone is to know lately I've been saying everything is a data point, you know, like you try something and okay, that doesn't work. You need to try something else. Um, I think that is a sort of a view that comes with privilege when you're uh, safe and well fed and nourished and um, have a place to sleep those are things you can start dreaming about. So I do acknowledge that. And, and I've been lucky to have all that. And so I hope I can give back in the, um, anyone can do anything department. Cause I do think if we can take care of children's safety, security, nourishment, all those things that help you grow and, and sort of heal from trauma, or heal from toxic stress, if we can create an environment where they feel safe, they really can do anything. Megan, thank you so much for talking with me. Absolutely. Thank you, Crystal. Megan Schull's new book, Billion Dollar Girl, comes out on September 13th. And if you're in the Ithaca area, Megan and Odyssey Bookstore will be hosting a launch party from 6 to 8.30 p.m. at Stewart Park in Ithaca. And again, that's September 13th. You can find out more on her Facebook page. Coming up next week, I get to talk with horror writer Mercedes M. Yardley. 
Her new book is a Southern Gothic story about family, connection, and the evil that can slowly take over a town. And on future programs this fall, I'll be interviewing Rachel Dickinson, Laura Ann Gilman, Kevin Lucia, Carlos Hernandez, and more. It's going to be a great fall season. Plus, we're celebrating our first anniversary in October. Off the Page doesn't exist without the support of listeners just like you. If you'd like to make a donation today, visit WSKG.org and click on the red Donate button. Off the Page is a production of WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Sarankis. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time we go Off the Page. <laughs>